This is The Jerry Callahan Show. President's Day. Enjoy it while you can. This won't be, this is one of the last President's Day. It's going soon. It's, it's out. First Columbus Day is gone. And then uh, President's Day, because don't forget, George Washington owned slaves and uh, Lincoln um, freed the slaves, but that's, he's white. He's white. So we can't have a day honoring those two colonizers. Um, not sure what Lincoln did to piss them off, but they did take down the statues during the George Floyd, the summer of love, the George Floyd riots uh, right here in Boston. Um, I think the people, the players, the hockey players in the NHL should know what kind of guy they just hired to represent them in Marty Walsh. He's no uh, Rhodes Scholar, but that's okay. He's, he, he's, uh, he's Pete, you know, he's, it, he's, out to done any of the predictions of his career, like school guidance counselors, they probably told him, you know, you, you, have you ever pumped gas before? Have you ever, uh, you know, could you work a, could you work a fast food window? And he became mayor of Boston. It was amazing. The guy just exceeded all expectations, but for you NHL PA members, he's got no guts. He's got no guts. And I will tell you why, because the people, the, the BLM mobs, the Antifa mobs put some pressure on him and he yanked a Lincoln statue out of near the Boston common, a Lincoln statue, by the way, which was designed and paid for by freed slaves. And uh, Marty didn't let them tear it down and, and deface it and spray paint it. He, he tucked it away in a warehouse somewhere. So maybe it'll come back someday when people wake up. But for now we can't have Lincoln. We got that tribute to, uh, to Dirk Diggler that we've talked about. We've shown you the, Tribute to Mark Wahlberg, you know, in for his Dirk Diggler role, but uh, we don't have Lincoln out in public with f- slaves rising up. It's uh, his statue was there for like a hundred years, but Marty bowed to the mob and yanked it. And uh, I think it's going to keep up. I think we will get rid of President's Day. Maybe we'll have a holiday for I don't know George Floyd. We could have George Floyd Memorial Day. I mean, he was a great American. Or how about this one, Bar- Barack Obama Day? I wouldn't mind that because it's in August. You could have Barack Obama's birthday and we would finally have a good August holiday. Everyone, everyone wants an August holiday, but we'll have to get rid of, uh, I mean, what did Washington ever do? Lincoln, they don't, they don't deserve statues, but uh, that this is, it's still, still their day. It's still president's day. It's still a tribute to Washington and to Lincoln. So we'll enjoy it. Ironhead was really hoping to get the day off. He thought it was uh, important because he's uh, just a big fan of of George Washington. But uh, I dragged him into the studio to uh, crank out a show on this Monday. We're going to talk to uh, Greg Kelly from Newsmax. If you don't know who he is, you you should. I would say one of the best shows on Newsmax, one of the best shows on cable news. He does a great job of just breaking down and analyzing the news of the day. He's funny. He's witty. He's a right wing zealot like me. It's must watch for me. You know, you know, I'm a Tucker guy at eight o'clock, but uh, at 10, I am sitting there and I'm waiting for Greg Kelly's opening monologue. He has a new book out, which is very timely about the war on cops. uh, And, uh, and, and when and how, this country turned on the police and demonized the police. I think it's topical and timely and relevant in this day and age. I'm going to ask him if, uh, if this chapter about Ayanna Presley, who's the biggest cop hater, liar, 
who, who never misses a chance to uh, slander the men in blue, um, except when she you know, needs them. Then it's different. But uh, hopefully he takes a few swipes at her because she is just the worst. There's a lot of cop haters out there. People who blame cops for everything, call them racist with no evidence. Uh, but uh, she is the worst. But before we get to Greg, uh, Greg Kelly, uh, we got to do a couple things. I'm we got good Trump and bad Trump. I think we can almost do that daily. We can get this segment sponsored, Ironhead. Good Trump, bad Trump. We have great examples of both. But we have to do this because I saw this, I think it was Friday, and uh, tweeted about it. Got a big reaction. I think we play Joe Biden clips, cuts, quotes all the time. Most of the time, they're incoherent, gibberish, and we have a good laugh. Right. When you say maybe what, 75 percent of the time they're not in in English, you know, they're in Biden speak. And we try to uh, translate for you. And we and we and we pray for this country because this bumbling dementia patient is in charge. It's scary. Sometimes it's funny. You know, sometimes it's just pathetic. He, he, he went in front of the cameras and I'm not sure I tried to determine whether he was reading this off the teleprompter or he was ad-libbing it's hard to tell but i talked to a few people this weekend the beginning friday into the weekend and the people who heard this saw this to a man and you know they're friends of mine or neighbors and were infuriated i mean there's lots of things biden says that are maddening infuriating most of them are, are lies we went through the whole thing with the balloon on uh, thursday and friday where he allowed a Chinese spy balloon to surveil the whole country and then shot down three hobbies, hobby balloons or toys to prove that he means business. It was pathetic. I mean, you, he used the U.S. Air Force F-22s, Sidewinder missiles to take out the property of the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, a bunch of nerdy balloon geeks took out their property and stood before the world and said, that's what happens when you, you know, threaten you, the United States. It was really embarrassing as a nation. We should have all been humiliated. And that was just one day of the week. And invariably when he talks, the whole country just kind of hangs their head in shame. But this, this was a little different. This hit a nerve at the time. I'm going to set it up. This, we know what, you know, what happened in the, East Palestine, uh, East Palestine, Ohio, the train derails. There's that toxic mushroom cloud. There's dead fish. There's dead chickens There's sick kids. People's property values were essentially gone in, 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 the, in a cloud of uh, vinyl chloride. Boom. All their property. Values. These are hardworking people. These are middle-class working class people. Unfortunately for them, they're Trump voters. They're not Biden supporters. So he denied them initially assistance from FEMA, said it wasn't a natural disaster. Uh, we've watched as they've let these poor folks to just fend for themselves. It's been 17 days since the train uh, train went off the tracks and the, and the you know, toxic chemicals leaked out and then they had the controlled burn. 17 days. And that time, nobody from the administration has shown up there. No Biden. No Kamala Harris, no Pete Buttigieg, the worthless, pompous punk of a transportation secretary. Nobody. Uh, 
and and we'll tell you, somebody's coming this week. A president is coming, but it ain't that guy. So while the smoke is still there and the chemicals, are, the, the water's still turning all different color, the president of the United States goes before a camera and says, we're, uh, we're going to take care of those people. We're going to give them pocket money, pocket money, and we're going to pay their pensions. And you're thinking, good, it's about time we did something for the, oh, but wait, but wait, it's not the people of East Palestine. It's the people of Eastern Europe, the people of Kiev and uh, the Donbass region. This is the most infuriating tone deaf thing this buffoon has ever said. And I mean it. Uh, I was I was talking to a guy and he, he was like beside himself in a rage going, our president, our, our, our president is taking our money. Hell, he's taking money from the people of East Palestine. You know, the guys who were, you know, working, for whatever, landscape and cutting down trees or working in a factory. And he's uh, taking that, taking a chunk of their paycheck, a small portion of their check, sending it to Ukraine, not for missiles, that's, that's bad enough, but to give them pocket money and pay their pensions. And uh, I mean, I, ha- I heard this, I read this, I said, this can't be real. It is real. That's where some of your check this week, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's where it's going to give pocket money, cash to Ukrainians, not to East Palestinians in Ohio, to Ukrainians. I know they're going through hell over there too, but that's Ukraine. This is the United States. There's no vested interest. There's no vital interest in Ukraine. There's certainly no vital interest in giving people pocket money. There's a vital interest here. And this arrogant SOB has turned his back on Americans in this desperate time of need and said, I got a better idea. Let's take care of the poor Ukrainians. Let's listen to the most infuriating. It's been two years of this disastrous administration. I don't think there's been a moment quite this infuriating. Go ahead, play it, Ironhead. And they'll deliver much needed humanitarian assistance as well as food, water, medicine, shelter, and other aid to Ukrainians displaced by Russia's war. And provide aid for those seeking refuge in other countries from Ukraine. It's also going to help schools and hospitals open. It's going to allow pensions and social support to be paid to the Ukrainian people so they have something, something in their pocket. It's also going to provide critical resources to address food shortages around the globe. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> not a not a penny for East Palestine. Paying the pensions? The pensions of, of, of a foreign country? I understand. His family has deep ties there. I understand. He's protecting his his investment with his scumbag son and his scumbag brother. And I understand we probably don't know half of what they got going on there. It's one thing to say, you know, we're sending them food and water and even weapons. Paying their pensions? The hell with their pensions. We got people in this country. We got, I can't even listen to that without my feeling the blood boiling. It's just, inf- oh, it's just infuriating. I, I, I don't remember. I mean, I know we've, we've fought endless foreign wars with Republican and different and Democrat administrations. I know we've been in the Middle East forever and Afghanistan. I don't remember a president standing up and saying, we got to make sure they have some money in their pockets. No, we don't. 
I mean, I'm sorry if they don't have money in their pockets. If you're giving them food and water and health care and missiles, the hell, they can, they can find their own pocket money to buy their cigarettes or whatever, lottery tickets. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine being someone in East Palestine. Or I'll give you another example. I don't, I, I'm, I'm going to get into this another day. I was just in Fort Myers, Fort Myers Beach. It's devastated, wiped out. It's the saddest sight. I'm going to send you some pictures. We're going to do this another day. And I talked to people and just, you know, waiters and waitresses and just people on the street and the entire pier they had there, the entire area with all the, the entertainment and all the fried dough and all that's gone, just gone. Houses, buildings, hotels, gone still in rubble. There's boats that you see up in, in top of houses and in the woods and, and these people, I haven't heard a word from this, this person, this, this president about them, Americans, taxpayers, but they got a problem just like the ones in East Palestine. They didn't vote for him. They didn't vote for his party. They are Trump people or DeSantis people. And so uh, he doesn't give a damn about them. And he's, he'd love to send them some money, love to send them some aid, but Hey, we have our priorities and the folks in Ukraine, they come first. The people, the poor folks in the Donbass region, they come. I would think every, every American would agree, right? Imagine if you put that to a poll, a referendum, would you, we got a hundred billion dollars. Do you want to spend it in Ohio or do you want to spend it in the Donbass region? You pick. What would it be, 98 to two? I mean, 99 to one, what would that be? Anyone that voted for Ukraine would not live anywhere near Ohio. That's for sure. And, and yet you have him, and then you have Mitch McConnell, that snake, who says the most important thing in the world is helping Ukraine. In the world is helping Ukraine for Americans, American money. And you have Lindsey Graham, and you have both, in both parties, you have these America last snakes who don't care about these people in East Palestine. All right, we got to get to Greg Kelly, but first I have to get to this, our, our segment. We might not be able to do it every day, Ironhead, but we could do it a lot. Good Trump, bad Trump. We'll start with good Trump. This week, tomorrow, in fact, the president of the United States, I should say, a president of the United States is heading to East Palestine on Wednesday. Not the president, a president. Donald Trump is going to Ohio to visit with the poor folks in East Palestine who've seen their whole worlds go up in smoke, literally. Who's probably, probably, most of them, the probably most valuable thing they had was their house, even though it's probably not worth that much. Well, now it's worth nothing. Thanks to uh, Norfolk Southern, whatever it is, the uh, train. I mean, thanks to these these scumbags who uh, ran the trail off the tracks. So tomorrow, Tuesday, Joe Biden's going to Poland. And he's going to meet with Zelensky because that's his top priority. On Wednesday, Trump goes to Ohio and there'll be some good, I mean, the media, the mainstream media will ignore it. And uh, they'll be focused on Biden going over there, you know, with our money and handing it to Zelensky and just giving him anything he wants. But if you watch Newsmax or Fox News and you see Trump, that'll be a good visual. He'll be hugging, you know, poor, weeping people who've lost everything, whose dogs died. and was waters uh, poisoned and he's, he's good at that. Even when he wears a nice blue suit and red tie, he's good at schmoozing with the little people, the working people. And he knows it looks good. He knows they're his people. They support him, but there's going to be quite the contrast that not one person in the current administration 
has made their way to Ohio. Not one in 17 days, but this week Trump will be there and it'll be a good look. And Biden will be, he'll be wandering aimlessly around Warsaw saying stupid things and talking about giving more pocket money to Ukrainians. But it's going to be a good week for Trump as long as he stays the hell off truth social. This is the bad Trump. And I, I'm telling you, it. I, the one good thing you could say about this is it shows that he's doing it himself, that he's not getting pushed around by advisors and told what to say. No one saw this and said, yeah, good job, Ron. I mean, good job, Don. He tweeted this out or Trump did, or I mean, truth did, or pump, whatever you call it, posted on truth. It, this could be the dumbest thing he's written yet. And that says something. Ready for this? Ron DeSanctimonious. Oh, God, that freaking nickname. Someone has to tell him. It doesn't work, Don. It's stupid. It's not catchy. Anyway, I'm just going to read it. And uh, you can just imagine all the uh, punctuation and stupid caps and everything else. Ron, De- Ron DeSanctimonious wants to cut your Social Security and Medicare, closed up Florida and its beaches, loves rhinos, Paul Ryan, Jeb Bush, and Kyle Rove, disasters all, is backed by Globalist Club for No Growth, Lincoln Pervert Project, and Uninspired Coke. And it only gets worse from there. He is a rhino in disguise whose poll numbers are dropping like a rock. Good luck, Ron. I mean, honestly, every time you read him, you say, how, how, how is he not, how is he sober? How does he not drink? It's just amazing. I, every, if he drank, you'd say that is the classic drunk tweet. Oh, we go, this is another post, another truth. Yeah, if Ron DeSanctimonious wasn't a good nickname, he, he, oh, yeah, covers right. his he, said, he called him Meatball. Uh, or he said he's a meatball. I don't even get it. Is DeSantis even Italian? I don't even know. Who cares? It's just so stupid. I will never call Ron DeSanctimonious meatball Ron as the fake news is insisting I will. <laughs> even though Fox News killing lightweight Paul Ryan. Fox News killing lightweight Paul Ryan. There's no dashes in there is revered by him. Low energy Jeb Bush is his hero and always at his side. His beaches and state were closed for long periods of time. His testing, testing, testing for the China virus didn't work out too well. And his loyalty skills are really weak. It would be totally inappropriate to use the word meatball as a moniker for Ron. If you're, if you're, honest to God, if how old your old, how old your oldest kid, Ironhead? Seven. Sevens, seven. If you're seven year old type that, you'd be embarrassed. I would, yeah. Seventy six year old man, a former president, a future president, perhaps. And it, it, it's just so. Does he ever say no? I shouldn't sit send on this. Does he ever say this is too stupid, even for me? They're just embarrassed. I mean, I'm I'm glad I'm a DeSantis guy because if you're a Trump guy, you have to read that and defend it. <laughs> And you got to do it for the next two years. Good luck. Good luck to all my friends who are digging their heels in. Like I've said, hey, I was in Florida, a lot of Trump flags, a lot of DeSantis flags too. Did I saw one Biden flag. And then I look, I said, holy crap, it's a Biden flag. And then my friend says, uh, look at the whole, look at the, it was kind of hanging down. And then the wind blew. It said F Biden. <laughs> that was the only, every, a lot of Trump flags, a lot of Trump supporters down there. And there'll be more. Uh, by the time the election rolls around, but man, he makes it hard. 
makes it hard for them to defend because that's just so juvenile. And DeSantis is handling it beautifully. He's not fighting back and getting down in the mud. He hasn't even declared. How's he going to fight Trump if he don't declares that he's running? Why, and why isn't Trump going after Nikki Haley? Why is he focused on Ron DeSanctimonious? Well, Nikki Haley's not a real threat, and I think that's, he's he's trying to prevent Ron DeSantis from running because he knows he'll a be a problem. Point. That's a good, you know, Ron DeSantis could just wait him out until the guy loses his mind. It's honestly, it's so embarrassing. But uh, anyway, anyway, we got uh, we got a lot more to get to. I want to get to Tiger making you some money, Ironhead, making mm-hmm. the cut against all odds. Uh, he's back, sort of, kind of back, better than I thought he would be. And I've had a number of people including our friend Montante calls me up, says, have you heard about the movie white noise? And I said, yeah, he says, it's unbelievably similar, eerily similar to uh, the train derailment in East Palestine. I said, wow. And I read the, like the synopsis of the movie said I had to, had to watch, had to see, see how eerie it is. I don't want to give it away. I'm going to give you my review of white noise, which could quite simply be, the single worst movie ever made. It's not eerie. It's not weird. It's not creepy. It's just freaking awful. <sighs> but uh, uh, we'll get to that and who knows what else. But uh, when we come back, we will talk to Greg Kelly from Newsmax about everything. It's a good time to talk to Greg, by the way, a former Marine fighter pilot who knows all about, (laughs) who has some thoughts on uh, what uh, our president did with, you know, F-22s and Sidewinder missiles going against the the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Brigade. We'll ask Craig about that and lots more. A recession-proof investment without compromise, European American Armory Corp, or EAA Corp, has specialized in providing high-quality, innovative, and reasonably-priced firearms to the U.S. market since 1990. Choose from a wide selection of unique and traditional pistols, whether you're looking for a concealed carry, revolver, shotgun, or competition pistol, EAA Corp has it. EAA's 1911 series comes in compact carry or full size in three popular calibers. First time gun owner, no problem. EAA Corp all-in-one 9mm MC9 striker fire pistols come fully equipped in a sleek, light, ergonomic package ideal for everyday carry. In addition, their lineup includes MC312 series of 12-gauge shotguns for hunting, sporting, tactical, or personal defense that will exceed your expectations. There's a limited lifetime warranty on every series available today from EAA Corp. EAA Corp says get the quality firearm you've always wanted and save yourself a lot of your hard-earned money. Visit eaacorp.com to learn more and order online or through your local dealer. All right, joining us now is Greg Kelly, host of Greg Kelly Reports. Perhaps the, I'd say the best show on Newsmax. I never miss it. He also hosts radio in uh, New York and he's a great follow on Twitter. Hey, Greg, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Jerry, great to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, Twitter. <laughs> you are, you are almost, good, man. You put some effort into your Twitter. I'll give you that. You 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 work at it. You know, it's it's a lot of fun, and so many people are so uptight. You know, I'm having, I'm screwing around on it. It's kind of a free speech experiment, but everybody is so uptight. So <laughs> I kind of enjoy. It. Thank you. I think I, I've said this to people before. I think you have the best resume of anybody on TV. And I include, you know, 
athletes and, you know, prof- you know, uh, Peyton Mannings and those kind of guys. I, I mean, you were nine years in the Marines. You're a pilot. You just bring so much, you know, credibility when you have that kind of resume. I don't know if you, do you feel that way when you, when you step in front of the camera? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that I took the path that I did. I briefly considered broadcasting while I was in college and I, I was interested in, in journalism. And I, I just thought at, at 22, you know, I really wouldn't know much of anything. And I had tried it at the college radio station and you go down to city hall and you're asking these guys questions and uh, like somehow, you know, better. Now, some people can pull that off and maybe some people did know better at 22. I was not one of those individuals. I, I knew I had a lot to learn about life and, uh, you know, that I wore the uniform of the country. You know, I just, I kind of know what it's like to have something on the line. And a lot of people do, no matter what your position is in the real world, sooner or later, you got to put it all on the line. And, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that I did not go right into being a talking head. Well, it certainly gives you a hell of a, a life experience and it makes you the perfect guy to talk to in these crazy times. I mean, I've been talking for days now, a couple of weeks now about uh, the balloons, you know, the China spy balloon and then the uh, the hobby balloon that Joe Biden shot down. I have a simple question for you as a experienced pilot in the Marines. Did you ever shoot down anything that you didn't know what it was when you didn't know what it was. Did you ever shoot? <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. It, <laughs> the answer is no. Uh, look, I'll be honest. I, I never shot anything in combat. I've been to combat. I, I, I was in the, uh, I was, I was there as an embedded reporter in, uh, in Iraq during the invasion. I flew over Iraq as a Marine, but it really wasn't that bad. It was pretty benign. I only fired a sidewinder missile, which is what they say they use on the balloon one time uh, in training and uh, we shot at a, a flare. It was a target and one airplane dropped the flare. It was burning. It was like 10,000 degrees and the missile just hones right on it. And it's not like in the movies, by the way, it's very, very quiet. The whole thing is incredibly quiet. Um, But this is just one bizarre case. And I know this, what Joe Biden said yesterday, just about all of it was untrue. All of it. Right. I see here's uh, I mean, you said you never fired a missile in combat. Well, this wasn't combat either. A few days ago, and I I found this uh, press conference from Biden to be just just stunning. He says first he didn't they didn't know what it was. They're not sure what it was. And they shot anyway. And then he says it's probably recreational. Then we find out it probably belonged to the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. And the balloons they use are priced from twelve to one hundred and eighty dollars. So we used a four hundred fifty thousand dollars Sidewinder missile, an F twenty two, to take out a hobby balloon from the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Brigade. Um, obviously, that's problematic on so many levels. But what do you think the pilots or the people just up the chain of command ordering this this shooting felt? What did they think? Well, here's what I think happened. I think after the initial China balloon goes all the way across the country, Joe Biden barely says anything about it, doesn't shoot it down until it's finished its mission. The fake news, they were protecting him. But objectively speaking, that was a real problem. And it seemed to highlight Joe's, to say the least, conflict of interest when it comes to any matters regarding China. 
So it was inexplicable, I think, to do what he did or what he didn't do, which was let it go all the way across the country. And so I felt like he had to appear that, okay, like they overcompensated to make Joe appear, you know, like he's in command. He's not afraid of anything. And they're literally having him shoot at, uh, yeah, the toy balloons. It's kind of like, I, I put it on Twitter, a, a, a kid with a fish, and uh, his father is helping him catch the fish. And in this case, uh, the fish is the balloon, the, the kid is Joe, and, and, and the guy behind him is China, uh, giving him these opportunities to look like, you know, okay, we don't want to blow his cover here. He's got to look like he's in charge, but he's looking the opposite, of course, as usual. Daryl Issop, a congressman from California, said he talked to someone in the military and they said everything Biden said in that press conference was a lie. Do you think does, does that mean that the people in the military thought the whole thing was a little nuts using a sidewinder to take out a, a, a children's toy, essentially? Well, you know, it's funny. I saw that tweet from Daryl Issa and and I, I, I wondered about it. I talked about it with my daddy. He, he said somebody he knows in the military. He didn't say a general. He didn't say, I mean, we all know somebody in the military. You know, I talked to two guys in the military today and they have their theories and we don't know. We, we don't know. I, I look, I, every time Joe lies, every time Joe opens his mouth, he's lying. He lies about the small things. He lies about the big things. Uh, so we, we can't trust him as to what he was reading. If it was all untrue, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I mean, the air force did say they readjusted their radar. It is all unnecessarily confusing. And you know, he said on inauguration day, he swore to God, I played it the other night on my, on on the show. I swear to God that I will always level with you. (laughs) And this man's in big trouble with God. I'm sorry. We all, we're all going to have some explaining to do when we meet the big man. But Joe, I think, is is really out on a limb here. I was thinking, I guess we're lucky that the kids in the in the club, the bottle cap brigade, weren't like in the balloon or in the aircraft. Because the last time, Greg, as you recall, he ordered the military to fire a missile so he could save face was in the aftermath or in amidst the Afghanistan, the disastrous Afghanistan with withdrawal that cost them, that cost the lives of seven children, 10 people. So, I mean, which I thought was probably the worst thing he's done in his two years, but he's not reluctant to use the military to save face or to, to save his reputation. That's an interesting observation. Uh, You're onto something there. And I'm glad you mentioned Afghanistan because, uh, quite frankly, it's fallen out of my skin. It was right. something that I, I wanted to remind people of every day, and I did for about six months, But and and then it faded away. I mean, we lost a war thanks to Joe Biden. We lost, we lost it. The Taliban's in charge now, uh, and it's on him. It's on him. Ukraine is on him. The American people understand that. 67% of the people believe that if Donald Trump were still in office, I mean, we know that intuitively. So what he's been able to get away with, and oh, by the way, I mean, if you look at what happened to Fetterman, I think this is going to potentially blow up. I don't know. I mean, Joe has obvious health issues. They're covering for him. Fetterman had obvious health issues. They covered for him. Now he's crashed and burned. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's really heartbreaking to remember Afghanistan and the damage it did to our reputation 
around the world. I don't think China would have pulled this if it wasn't for Afghanistan. That's, that's true. I mean, I know you hear this more than I do, but it's a question I hear constantly is like, you know, will, will Joe run? And I go back and forth on you, this, Greg. Uh, I mean, I think uh, he shouldn't run. He's too old. He's, he's, he's obviously he's in the throes of dementia. He's been a disaster of a president, but he's also a very self-centered, cranky, stubborn old man. I'm not sure that they can just tell him, you know, step aside. It's time for someone else. He thinks he can do the job. Hell, he thinks he's doing a good job right now. Do you think he will step aside graciously and let someone else uh, be the nominee? Yeah, it's a fascinating question because I do believe that Joe Biden is working for Barack Obama and Susan Rice, that they're in charge. They're the ones who orchestrated this whole thing. South Carolina, everybody dropped out. Joe Biden uh, finished in fifth place in Iowa, fourth in New Hampshire. All of a sudden, he's going to be the nominee. He's not in charge. It was always the arrangement. You're going to be there for one term. Now he's feeling his oats. Look, You know, five years ago, I would have said, boy, oh boy, Greg, you sound like a real conspiracy theorist, Uh, but it's so easy to connect the dots. I think the whole thing with the documents, you know, turning up in, uh, in, in 15 different places that he had responsibility for, I think it's an Obama operation. This is a way to take him out. They don't want him running again. And just like you said, I think he's resisting that. He's he, he's a stubborn kind of crazy uh, guy, and he thinks he's got it. He's still got it. Right. But he, but he doesn't, and, and that's a way to possibly take him out uh, because he's so vulnerable. There's so much exposure, legal exposure, in Joe Biden's uh, portfolio there. Right. And I think uh, in the press conference the other day, when someone tries to ask about China and he just says, oh, give me a break. He, he doesn't feel like he should be held accountable for anything. I mean, he's been getting away with it for so long. He feels like he's above the scrutiny. And I, I think he feels like he's above someone telling him, you know, you're too old or you're too weak or you're too compromised. And he'll just say, I'm going to do it. And that will be a hell of a, you know, a civil war inside the Democrat Party. I'm sure you and I will be here for it. It'll be entertaining. Uh, I, I was just saying that to my producer. We're in for a couple of crazy years. It's been crazy, but don't you feel like stuff is just starting to roil? Yeah, it's a very strange time, uh, unlike any time in my lifetime. And, you know, you mentioned that when when that question was asked about China amid the cacophony of uh, questions. But when that guy said China, family, conflict of interest, Joe's head snapped. It was like a, uh, you know, a dog hearing a... uh, a dog whistle. He just, he heard that and he focused in on that. And I've seen him react that way before when his family is mentioned, uh, potential corruption is mentioned. And it's not like I'm going to fight for my family's honor. It's like, that's my vulnerability. Uh, That's, and he has to address, he has to snap it, shut it down. And it's it's a fascinating thing to watch. Uh, He is vulnerable. He knows it. And worse, the Chinese know it. I, I say this all the time. One of the the vulnerabilities of a Democrat is they spend their whole life being protected by the media. They become comfortable with it and they just assume they can get away with things. And when they actually get scrutinized or questioned on something, they're like, what? what? You're supposed to be on my side here. What do you mean? And he feels that way about the laptop, about the documents, about his son, about so many scandals. He thinks I should be getting away with this. I mean, you're on my side, guys, right? And when they actually hear someone and, and you do the best job of anybody, if, if people haven't seen your show, 
you do the best job of anyone of calling out the media. It's just, it's, it's performance art when you do your uh, media segments. He's not going to be able to handle it if they turn on him. And you see it a little bit with the documents and you're going to see it a lot if they decide they're done with him. You know, with the media, not one person in the media has asked Joe Biden about that laptop. Right. Now it's been right. verified. It's been verified. Triple, double, quadruple. It's, <laughs> it's true. It's the real deal. Right. Joe Biden lied or at least misrepresented to a hundred million people during the debate, you know, that it was Russia disinformation. He said it, the, 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 the swamp 51 intelligence officials, how he can be in the presence of reporters every single day. And he gets questions lobbed at him every day. And that's not asked that that's really creepy about America that we have, do we have a free and fair press? I mean, I want to know that. How about Tony Bobolinsky? This is a real guy, a, a, a businessman with credentials in the world who's met Joe Biden. It's been established, as a matter of fact, what he said, like, you could tell us about your conversation with Tony Bobolinsky. And, and just to even confirm for the record that it happened, it's, it's a very, it's, it's almost Soviet. It's Soviet-esque the way our media are behaving. That could be the best uh, indictment of all is that he never, he's never been called by the New York Times, NBC, CNN, Tony Bobulinski, who is single-handedly could verify everything, has the receipts and they're not interested. They don't want to hear the name. And then you hear AOC you know, on the house floor saying, oh, this unverified, this fake news. I'm going, wait a second. It's been verified a hundred times over and you can't even admit it. Man, that, that is scary. The links still go to help him cover things up. But I, I, will, I, I, I know your time is limited here. I want to get to this book because I'm fascinated by this. I mean, I talk about this all the time. The war on cops. Your father was police commissioner. Uh, we know that. Um, you're, you're in New York. You know how this all went down. Uh, it's, it's you know, a, a terrible stain on the country when you think about it. Do you think, how big was the George Floyd moment? Uh, was did the, did the war on cops begin before that? Was it when BLM after Ferguson? Was it when Obama went to memorialize five murdered cops and blame them? When did, the, when did things turn and the, the cops become the bad guy to large portions of this country? Well, George Floyd was, was the pivotal inflection point, uh, you might say, and the overreaction. That was, that was everything changed after George Floyd. However, it had been in the works for decades. I mean, the left, I say the subtitle of how the left is wrong about law enforcement. They've always been wrong about law enforcement for right. a long time. However, you know, like the powers that be, academia, media, they still decried rioting, looting, violence. That was always seen as bad, and at least it was covered and not ignored. That changed in Black Lives Matter summer, and uh, a corporate America thoughtlessly overnight put their logo right next to Black Lives Matter, signing up uh, for their agenda, an agenda they did not understand, but they have since adopted as their own, not asking questions. But look, more specifically, it really started with Obama early in his tenure, Trayvon Martin. When Trayvon Martin uh, was killed by George Zimmerman, which, oh, by the way, was a totally justified uh, self-defense use of force. Uh, Zimmerman was about to be killed by Trayvon Martin. Uh, Zimmerman was found not guilty. But Black Lives Matter was founded, uh, according to the, the, the creators, in response to Trayvon Martin. But what was really going on, if you take it a step further... 
Barack Obama's support among uh, black Americans was plummeting. He had been president for two years. The situation in black America had not changed appreciably. Unemployment, poverty, things like that. They weren't seeing any kind of gains. And his support had taken a real hit. So he had to find a way to get back uh, that vote. And instead of speaking the hard truths that he hinted at when he was a candidate, you know, talking about fatherlessness and uh, problems in, in, in the African-American family, he said, I'm not going to do any of that. That's too damaging to my brand. I'm going to go all in on victim culture. And I think you mentioned, um, you know, the, 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 the beer summit. And it, it, that's when he, he chose sides. And he went out of his way to rip this country apart over race, which is really, it's ironic because this was, you know, the post, this was, for a moment, it was a beautiful thing. Look, I admit in the book, I voted for the guy in 2008. I was conned. I was conned. I was also kind of turned off by Sarah Palin for a number of reasons. So, um, does that answer your question? I know it's kind of well, all over the place. It's interesting you bring up uh, the beer summit. I was uh, the first person, my, my show, we were the first person to talk to Jim Crowley, the, uh, the cop who was invited. He, he blamed the Cambridge police, said they acted stupidly when he had none of the facts. And that's just kind of the way it, it's done with so many of these people. It's weird, Greg. They've accepted this premise that there's systemic racism, that there's uh, that cops are hunting uh, innocent, unarmed black people. You know, LeBron James and others advance this lie, and it's just so uh, corrosive when you when you think about it. I don't even I don't even think ten years ago people would have accepted that premise. The stats don't back it up. It's a lie uh, pushed by these grifters, these BLM grifters, and their friends in the in politics and in the media, and it's just so destructive to this country. You know better than anyone. I always say my my uh, grandfather was a Boston cop. Your father was the police commissioner in New York. You know cops. You know how they operate. They don't they don't go out there. They, I mean, the, the idea that they're out there looking, hunting, trying to pull over, arrest, beat, kill black guys is just madness. And it just hurts. It's just so damaging to the country. A lot of liberals have this uh, Starsky and Hutch view of uh, what policing is like, especially Bill de Blasio. He really had no concept of, of what policing had become by the time he became mayor. He had this very uh, kind of ancient view of it all. Well, you know, we're here we are talking about race, and most people are reluctant to talk about it, especially, oh, by the way, if they're white. And one of the points I try to make in my book is uh, if you believe in the Constitution, if you believe that America is fundamentally a good place, might have problems, but is not the problem, we, no matter what our ethnicity or race, have to become comfortable talking about race because right now the only people who are and they they create all the rules all the parameters of the so-called conversation um is the far left most people shut up when it comes up uh we can't allow that anymore and the other thing by the way you mentioned crowley it's funny yeah the beer summit and uh it actually comes up in obama's memoir and it's a little footnote i put it in my book that Obama and his staff, they were kind of, they felt embarrassed that they had to be so nice to Officer Crowley, uh, that, that they had to kind of bend over backwards to be nice to him uh, because they, they, they still thought that he was the dumb cop who overreacted and uh, which, if you know anything about the story, 
that's not the case. And actually, Obama at one point, you know, kind of acknowledges that Professor right. Gates was a bit of a hothead <laughs> and he could understand how he'd get under somebody's skin. But, but, it, but it also was, it, he knew Skip Gates knew he could use it. He knew he could it would raise his profile. Hell, he got invited to the White House. So he used it. He kind of amplified it. Crowley was just doing his job. It's and it, we've seen it over and over again. One thing I was going to ask you is. Do you mention Ayanna Presley at all in the book? Because she's the worst one of all when it comes to demonizing, lying about cops and labeling them racist, just stereotyping. There's no one worse than, than my representative, Ayanna Presley. I'm checking my index right now. I don't recall. <laughs> I, well, I'll tell you this, Craig. I, 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 here's what you can do. For, you can Google it, as uh, Don Lemon would oh, say. I, I'm, 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 I'm I'm familiar with her. She is a whack job. Totally. So, no, she, she's, there are a lot of people to know. She's not actually in the book. I, 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 I do go after the squad generally as a, okay. as, a as a group and, well, and, 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 and Bill de Blasio and Eric Adams, these guys, these oh, guys, I, love, oh I love, I love when you go after Eric Adams. Last night was beautiful when you went after his, uh, his outfit and pointed out all the ridiculous things he's wearing. But I uh, just a reminder, it was right after the Chauvin verdict, he got life, you know, he got, they threw the book at him. That's how it works. Went through the legal process. She went on TV. You could see it. And she says in the days after the verdict, the cops in this country have murdered, that's her line, murdered 70 innocent people. She says it and just no blowback, no scrutiny, no, no questioning. Just that's what they did. They went out and murdered 70 more innocent people. This is a, it's a U.S. congressperson who just lied. I went to a rally recently, I walked by a rally in Boston Common, and it was a BLM rally, and they were just chanting, F the cops. And there were kids in the audience, and they're saying how cops are all racist and killers. And it's just somehow been accepted in certain segments that the cops are the bad guys. And it's just, and um, that's why I'm so glad you wrote this book. It's someone has to push back. And you know, it's funny you mentioned Diana Presley. It reminds me of uh, uh, Chuck Schumer sitting with uh, Whoopi Goldberg. And Whoopi Goldberg says, you know, why am I being persecuted as a black woman? How can we allow this to happen? And my voting rights and this and that. And, and instead of correcting her, you know, a Harvard Law graduate, Chuck Schumer, just goes along with it. You know, <laughs> that Whoopi Goldberg has won an Oscar, an Emmy, uh, a Golden Globe, a Tony. Oh, it has had a remarkable life. But I do think the elites, the elites have um, corrupted the entire conversation. And too many white liberal politicians are intimidated, just like we talked about earlier when it comes to race. And they'll let the most radical element, often people of color, take this. Who, oh, by the way, don't represent, don't represent uh, the working class folks. They just don't. They're not. But they have they have owned the argument. Right. And it's a tragedy. Well, the greatest example is the defund the police. And you certainly get into that. Uh, There are people who live in the cities. Whether black, white, Hispanic, they don't. There's not one who wants to get rid of the police. Those are your elites. It's the squad, but it's also your rich white liberals in the suburbs who want to defund and and let's uh, reallocate. And you're thinking of that whatever that bodega owner that in the, that was on camera when he got attacked and he fought back and he killed the guy. And you're saying, do you think that guy wants to do any? I mean, he wants more cops. He wants them out in front of his store. 
you can't do that to these people. And yet it's the liberals who want to do it. Well, it's had a trickle down effect though. I mean, like the, the regular people in the street, on the street, walking around New York, whatever, now have an attitude when it comes to cops. You know, I keep hearing about the talk that black parents are forced to have with black children about when you're pulled over and how to behave as if white people have to behave any differently. Uh, but if the talk is actually being had, it's not working. I don't think it actually is uh, or ever was, but people are now gaffing off the cops. You have no authority. You have no moral or legitimate authority over me. They get out of the car. They're putting themselves in danger. Cops are understandably somewhat retreating the Ferguson effect. It's all artificial. My father, he left when he left after 12 years as the top cop in a big city, diverse city, his personal approval rating it's not that long ago 2013 was at 75% in a majority non-white city the NYPD's approval rating was at 70% but the way the system works now you can appeal to just a very small number of people especially here in New York de Blasio was elected mayor with about 200,000 people voting for him primary in a city of 8 million that's not a lot of people so it wasn't like the society gave a mandate, but now his corrupt ideology is actually permeated society. And you have uh, his successor, Eric Adams. You are uh, out ahead of the crowd on that one. He, uh, he kind of uh, uh, fooled a lot of people when he was running. And now he's being mentioned by some as a presidential candidate. I kind of hope that happens just so I can watch you take him apart. What did he do to you, by the way? (laughs) <laughs> well, listen, I've, I've, I've known Eric Adams for a long time. Uh, it was like Al Sharpton joining the police department. He was never a right. police officer. He was running around crying about racism, not going after criminals. He was an activist within the police department, you know, running for this office, running for that office. He quit the police department for a year to run as a Republican for Congress. This is the guy, typical politician in many ways, just always desperately wanted to, to be something. But as far as, What he ever did to me, I guess, because you're right. I mean, it's almost personal when it comes to this guy. When he stood up in public and talked about kicking cracker ass in the police department, I mean, it's about as racist as you can get. Right. And that, that was hardly a blip. That was hard. This man is incompetent. This man is, I think, uh, totally unethical probably corrupt. He was living in New Jersey when he was elected mayor, has no law enforcement credentials whatsoever, yet has probably because of identity politics. I mean, and it's very hard for the New York Post editorial board to kind of look, it gets very sensitive for some people when they're talking to Eric Adams, uh, in part because he's black in part because he looks great in part it's almost like they lowered their standards when they talk to him it's a very peculiar thing i haven't figured it all out but um bad guy bad mayor um <laughs> you've seen a lot of cities i mean we saw it in memphis the the police chief there the, the, they, they've gone woke they've made it you, you got to check the boxes to get the job and uh, I'm not sure we're going to have a lot more uh, Ray Kellys, you know, people who were hired or promoted on merit. You know, I'm not sure that happens much anymore in these big cities. And everyone suffers. Everyone right. suffers when you, when you go looking for the best person and the best person is different for each situation. You know, maybe you want 
Maybe you want a lawyer who is also a cop who also has experience in, in heavy weapons. And, you know, you, each position is different and you need, you know, you need a unique candidate and you look nationwide for that candidate. Instead, they look, okay, find me the nearest black woman you can find. And that's, oh, by the way, what Eric Adams did. He went to the next county over, Nassau County, suburban, to find a perfectly nice woman, but she's never run a big city police department. She's never run a police department. Her name is Keychan Sewell, happens to be black, happens to be a woman. I bet if they looked harder, there are plenty of black women who are capable of running this department, but not her. Because when identity politics kicks in, it almost, it, it just, it supersedes everything else. And it's all about checking those boxes, those two boxes that you, whatever the boxes are that you want to check. Right. Unfortunately, competence is not one of those boxes. Right. And we see it every day with the Biden administration and with Buttigieg and Kamala and Kate and cringe Jean-Pierre. But uh, all right, before I let you go, I know you're a Trump guy. I used to be. I'm a DeSantis guy now. Who, who's going to be the nominee? Well, I am a Trump guy. Uh, I predicted that it would win the day he declared. I'm very proud of that, by the way. June 16, 2015, I I, I just felt it. I knew it. I said it publicly. I was mocked. I was uh, all uh, tortured, but I knew it. I knew it. Uh, I still think that uh, I think he deserves it. I think he can get it. I think DeSantis can be president someday. Uh, not this time. I don't think he's actually going to run. Who knows? But for Trump to win, win the jet, it's going to take a miracle, but miracles have a way of finding Donald Trump. And at the right time, if Donald Trump starts talking to the left, it's almost like Rocky two. I know this sounds childish, but in Rocky two, uh, Rocky Balboa went to uh, right-handed from Southpaw and it totally messed up Apollo Creed and it confused the hell out of him. And I think if Donald Trump at the exact mo right moment, I don't know when that is, but he starts talking to the left, to the left in this country, that you have nothing to fear for me. This is our document, this, the constitution. And he, I think he can do it in a unique way. And I think he can pull it off. It, it'll be a miracle. But again, mirrors tend to follow this guy around. Well, I've been saying for uh, you know, two years now that I don't want another 78, 80-year-old president. I'll support him if he's the nominee, but I think you get all the, the policies, all the good qualities of Trump with uh, DeSantis. I hope he runs, but I'll certainly support whoever it is, especially if... Uh, Biden is the nominee. I can't believe you voted for Obama. I just, I can't believe that. Well, listen, let, yeah, I, I, I understand. I, I, put, I, I put it in print. I had to say it. Look, a couple of things. I just, if you don't mind, I mean, I understand. I, I'm a different person than I was 15 years ago in a lot of different ways. I mean, and a lot, I just, I, I, look, I found my faith. I stopped drinking. Uh, a lot of things have changed, but back then, um, when John McCain chose Sarah Palin, and I wasn't nearly as ideological as I am now, I was like, there goes the, I, I, I just, I can't, I can't. Sarah Palin had no business being vice president or president. And uh, I thought that was a real danger. Um, in retrospect, uh, I made a mistake. 
I certainly didn't make it in 2012, although Mitt Romney was no walk in the park yeah. either. <laughs> I, I, Massachusetts. I've never, I've never supported a president more enthusiastic, a candidate more than I supported Mitt Romney. That's my big regret. I cannot believe I supported that, that weasel. And I, I knew him a little bit. We had him on our show and I liked him and I was, I was heartbroken when he lost and looking back, it was a good thing, a good thing for the country. But uh, all right, Greg Kelly, the book is called justice for all how the left is wrong about law enforcement. It looks good. It sounds good. I can't wait to read it. Uh, Greg Kelly, you can see him every night on Greg Kelly reports on Newsmax at 10 PM. I highly recommend that he has my favorite opening monologue of any cable news show. It's a must and a great Twitter follow too. I got to remind people of that Greg Kelly USA. Is that what it is? At Greg Kelly USA and, and Jerry, so kind of you. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you Greg. Pleasure. And good, good luck with the book. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you, sir. All the best. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, it's the dead of winter, but that doesn't slow down Shea Concrete. They've got a huge selection of precast concrete steps ready to be installed at your home. If you're building a new home or remodeling or replacing an old staircase, Shea has great values with designs that will fit your home. A new staircase will dramatically upgrade the front entrance of your home, giving you a much better curb appeal. You'll be the talk of the town, the envy of the neighborhood. Shea will take care of all this. They remove the old stairs. You don't want to have to do that yourself. When they're done, you'll have a great looking new entrance that will add value to your home. Is not an expense. This is an investment in your home. With one phone call, Shea will deliver a turnkey installation experience. In a few hours, you get a brand new front entrance. Go to SheaConcrete.com to learn more. Also, you can go there and look for a job. Right now, Shea is hiring. They've got between 15 and 20 open positions. These are career opportunities for all different types of people with all different types of skill sets. All you got to do is pass a drug test. Well, uh, it, initially it looked like you were going to lose a hundred bucks there, Ironhead, but uh, Tiger came through for you. It, initially, it looked like he was going to miss the cut. I got to say, he, you know, he was never going to win. Anyone that thinks he's going to win doesn't know what's going on, doesn't, wasn't paying attention. But Tiger had an, un, I mean, he showed a lot in this, uh, this weekend at the Genesis, made the cut. Went 69 on Thursday, followed with a 74, then 67 Saturday and 73 on Sunday to finish in a tie for 45th. But it's the first time he'd walked eight, uh, 72 holes since the British. I didn't think he was going to make the cut. I thought he was going to be limping. I thought, you know, it was time for these young guys to just leave him all and leave him in the dust. They, you know, he beat, he beat lots of good players and uh, he, uh, promising i think kind of said that he'd play in the majors afterwards he said my plan is to play in all the majors but he'll probably play in a few more tournaments you mentioned the players it's good when he's in the field it just uh, raises the whole level of interest level of energy and uh he looked good he hit it as as we know he hit it past justin thomas his buddy and then handed him a tampon which upset a lot of people it sure did <laughs> Uh, it was just ridiculous, honest to God. But, but Christine Brennan of USA Today had a tweet. And she said, this raises lots of questions. Where did he get the tampon? Did he steal it? <laughs> she wanted to know if he stole it out of the woman's room. That's the big scandal, don't you think? Did he pay for it or did he steal it? <laughs> yeah, I, I do want to know how he acquired that more than the handing it to JT. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he told one of his 73, you know, handle aides, go grab me a tampon. Hey, Joe LaCava, please go pick this up for me. It wasn't particularly funny, but it's a kind of an old golf joke. I mean, did you, you hit it by someone and you say, does your husband play or you come up short on a, 
on a uh, pot or something. It's, uh, you know, did you, you whatever, you make some joke. But did you, you hit that, girl, you hit that you know, ball with your purse? Yeah, right. And if you don't hit it past the red tee, you got to, you know what, whip it out. Yeah, so all kinds it. of misogyny on the golf course. It sure is. <laughs> and this was just a dumb joke between two golf buddies. Tiger should have been smarter to not do it in front of, with, with any cameras. I mean, any, he had to know that it wouldn't be a good look if the cameras caught him and they did, but <laughs> most people weren't offended. They just said, it's just a dumb joke between guys. It's guys doing the golf course. The, but the uh, biggest problem though, was JT like freaking out and throwing it. Other than that, you wouldn't have seen it. Him ba- making it known was the. I thought they got him put passing it to him. Like they did, but sl- the reason they actually hyper focused on that is if you watch the video, JT gets it and he like throws it and like oh, freaks out. So that's it's his fault. Yeah, but I think Tiger acting like a real woman. Am I right? <laughs> I, I think yeah, a typical emotional broad. <laughs> Uh, Tiger apologized, said he didn't mean to offend anyone. I think it was, I think it goes away now. I think, I don't know, unless you're Christine Brennan or I don't know, Jamel Hill or somebody, you weren't offended. Nobody was offended. We move on. He had a great weekend, great tournament. John, John Rahm is unstoppable now. Mm. It's a great course. Uh, it's a good one. You know, no football on, nothing else on. So I watched a lot of it and enjoyed it. And uh, Rahm is just a friggin' steamroller right now won five times already this year out of nine starts. I saw one stat. He's beaten 98% of the players he's played against this year. You know, he's just, go. you go against 150 people, you're not supposed to win every week. And Rom wins every other week, which is pretty impressive. And uh, he can just do everything. But uh, all right, to the movie, before we wrap this up, I, I, I want you to see it. It's on Netflix. You got Netflix, right? I sure do. I want you to see it. I want you to tell me you've ever in your life seen a worse movie. It is so unspeakably bad. I, I, I don't, I mean, there, again, there, there's no mention of a train to like halfway through the movie. There's no mention. And then there's derailment and yes, all the news. There's been lots of people on online and social media saying they're very similar because there's a train derailment. There's a big mushroom cloud and there's poison gas in the air. But beyond that, and it's, there's an evacuation and it's in Ohio. And some of the people who live in East Palestine were extras, but it's so unbelievably just, just confusing and just scattered and, and just awful. The dialogue is awful. The camera work is awful. You can't even, I can't put into words. I tried to make my list of worst movies of say the last decade. Have you seen the lobster by the way, with Colin, uh, what's his face? Uh, Farrell. Yeah, Colin Farrell. No, I have not seen it. It's so unbelievably bad. It's like that. It's just so incoherent. But that was like intentionally bad. You know, they try to be artsy and it makes it even worse. Mm -hmm. Moonlight, which won the Academy Award, of course. One of the worst movies you'll ever see. Shape of Water, unbelievably bad. Just so bad. One of those, they're the kind of movie where they make it bad on purpose to try to appear artsy. This, this movie, this movie, White Noise on Netflix, I'm glad I didn't pay for it like at the theater or even on, on demand, but you got to see it to believe how awful it is. It's if I feel bad for the people of East Palestine because they're getting dragged into it and say, oh, it's just like, you know, it's just so awful. Uh, Adam Driver's the star with the Don Cheadle. And it just, I didn't make it to the end. I, I couldn't. It's so awful, but uh, check it out. I'm, I'm, I, I, if you like it, then I'd love to hear it because I don't know what I'm missing. But. I'll have to check it out. 
Anyway, anyway, we'll leave it. Yeah, take it out. And, uh, and uh, anyway, we'll leave it there. We'll be here for the for, for Biden's heading to Poland. Trump's heading to Ohio. It's going to be a big week. It really is. Lots going on. But uh, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks to Greg Kelly for joining us. Check him out of United 10 and check out his book, uh, Justice for All. Uh, and his Twitter feed. He is really good, witty, wacky on Twitter. One of the best accounts on Twitter. But uh, thanks, Ironhead. I'm Jerry Callahan. This is The Callahan Show. And we'll do it again tomorrow. Here tonight, shaking my head and thinking something ain't right. Is it just me? Am I losing my mind? Am I standing on the edge of the end of time? Am I the only one? Tell me I'm not. Like the show? Leave a five-star review on Apple and Spotify.